The Sermon on the Mount. Though it was delivered on the side of a hill one day in Israel, its power, truth, and simplicity have pierced through every century since. His divinely inspired words are not only timeless, they are timely for us. We hope you will join us as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. fantastic way to start the day. I'm so glad you're here. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 5. If you were here last week, you know that we started our series uh, walking through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is uh, Jesus's longest recorded sermon in the Bible, uh, perhaps the most uh, famous sermon in all of human history, and we're going to take quite some time to work through it because the Son of God, uh, the very Word in the flesh is preaching, and so there's a lot for us to to, uh, glean from that. And if you were with us last week, you know that Jesus starts out with blessing. He talks about blessing. He pronounces blessing. And uh, I was just, I, I was so caught off guard by that uh, last week. I don't know why, but as I opened up and just was reading through the sermon multiple times from Jesus, was really overwhelmed with the idea that Jesus starts with blessing. Uh, there's uh, just a long list of very specific blessings that Jesus talks about uh, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And Oftentimes we call those the Beatitudes. Uh, so if you have ever heard that and did not know what that was, now you know what that is. Uh, it's just a long list of blessings that Jesus talks about when he's uh, teaching uh, his disciples. And so I don't want to um, blow through that and breeze through that too quickly uh, because if you're like me, I would really like to hang out in the blessings for a while. Amen? Uh, okay, we're going to get going. I need you to keep drinking your coffee, and you can help me out as we go. Uh, one thing about the blessings and the Beatitudes, uh, it's like it, it's it's important to know what he's saying and exactly how he is framing these blessings. Uh, I think it's important for us to know he's not laying out a formula uh, for do this and you will be blessed. He's not laying out something that's like, uh, you know, a, a, a to-do list for us. But what he's doing is he is pronouncing a declaration of blessing of of things that are true for those who are his. Uh, he's speaking to disciples uh, who have chosen to follow him, who have embraced the gospel, repented of their sin, put their faith in him as a savior, and now they're on a journey following him. Uh, oftentimes in our culture, we call those people Christians. Uh, in the first century, especially in the New Testament, most of the time they're referred to as disciples or lifelong followers, lifelong learners. That's who Jesus is talking about. And he's just going through a long list, a declaration of blessings uh, for those who are truly in his kingdom. Uh, I'm going to back up, back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and give you a little bit of recap if this is your first week so that you can um, uh, be caught up to speed for just a moment. So Matthew chapter 5, if you are in verse 1 and excited to hear Jesus talk about blessings, say blessing. Fantastic. Here we go. Seeing the crowds. This is Matthew talking about Jesus. He saw lots of people, hundreds of people, probably thousands of people. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And as a reminder, that's Matthew calling back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament, there was a lot of prophets, right? A prophet was someone who stood between, uh, somewhat between God and man as a mouthpiece or a spokesperson for God. And God would speak to the prophet and say, go tell the people this. And that 
person would relay the message and say, uh, thus saith the Lord. This is what God said. This is what we need to hear. And the, the, the best of all the Old Testament prophets was a man named Moses. He was like the prophet of prophets. Uh, but then there was a prophecy uh, that was uh, made uh, where God promised, he says, I'm going to send a prophet that's even better than Moses. And this prophet will be the prophet, really, to end all prophets. He will speak ultimately and perfectly for God. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them. And Moses was going up the mountain to get the, the Ten Commandments on stone tablets to deliver them from God to his people. And that's the phrase uh, that the Old Testament uses talking about Moses. He went up to the mountain. And so Matthew is pointing us towards Jesus being the fulfillment of that prophecy that Jesus is going up the mountain. He is the new, the better, the perfect, the ultimate prophet, even better than Moses. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain as the prophet that the world needs. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Again, last week we talked about how important it is um, to understand who uh, Jesus is speaking to and preaching to because that informs the message quite a bit. Um, so this is a message that is it's, it's truly a gift to everyone, to all of the crowds that were there, but it's pointed at disciples or Christians. Uh, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them, he taught his disciples saying, and then the first two blessings we unpacked last week, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I won't re-preach the whole sermon, but uh, that, that word, it, it's normally used to talk about someone who is uh, very, very poor monetarily and a beggar. Uh, they have come to the point where they realize, I don't have any money. I don't have a way to eat lunch. I don't have a way to get food for myself. And so I've come, I, I've become so poor. I have to ask for a handout and have somebody else give me food or give me money so that I can survive. That It's a, it's a really a, a moment of deep, deep humility where you realize you're just completely bankrupt, absolutely poor, beggar, and that's the word that Jesus uses for those of us that realize, you know what, I don't bring anything to the table. My sin has, 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 has affected me deeply. I can't fix myself. I can't change myself. I'm so desperate. I need someone else to save me, someone else to forgive me. That's what he says when blessed are the poor in spirit, the beggars at heart, that we bring nothing to the table. Jesus brings everything. He gives good things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's describing a true Christian or a true disciple, because that's the only way into the kingdom, is to embrace the grace of Jesus, to let him completely pay for everything. We come poor of spirit, and then ours is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, not a generic just mourning over anything that's lost, but a, a, a weightiness and a mourning over our sin and our condition and a leaning heavily into Jesus. Uh, that's the backdrop. We're going to keep going. I'm going to cover two different uh, blessings, two different beatitudes today uh, that Jesus talks about. So we'll keep going and pick up here this morning in verse 5 where Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit 
the earth. I want to unpack meek because that's probably not a word, again, that's going to come up in our vocabulary this week, um, not something maybe that we use very often. So, if, But if Jesus connects that with a deep blessing like shall inherit the earth, it's important for us to understand uh, what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are those who are meek. Uh, there was a man named Schultz who had done this long, long study throughout the entire Old Testament uh, of the, the, the word meek. Or, or meekness, and every time it popped up, he was studying it to try to put together a very, very robust uh, description of what meek truly means, and this is what he said after studying every place in the Old Testament the word meek is found. He says it, it means this, it's one who feels that he is a servant in relationship to God and who subjects himself to him quietly and without resistance. So meek has a lot to do with how we see ourselves in relationship to God. There's a lot of overlap with meekness and humility, but they're not quite the same thing. Um, but he would say, it's somebody who feels that when they, when you have to explain your relationship to God, you explain yourself as a servant. I'm the servant, he's the master, he calls the shots. Um, I, I wanna define it this way. Uh, meekness means to live uh, in, in complete dependence on God and total submission to God, right? As simple as it is, it means complete dependence on God and total submission to God, which again should describe the life and the heart of a Christian. We've come to the point where we realize, like, I am completely dependent on God for all things, and I want to be in total submission to him in all things. That's what the word meek means. And so Jesus says, blessed are the meek. If that's our attitude, then we will be blessed. Why? Because he says that we shall inherit the earth. Uh, I want to look at just... Uh, just the Apostle Paul for a moment as an example. Uh, there's a lot of examples that we could use uh, from the, the, the New Testament of people who saw themselves in relationship to God as servants, and therefore they, they model for us uh, a meekness. Let me read to you, and some of these are going to be very offensive, honestly, if we've got too much American in us, not enough Christian, uh, you're going to hear some things that Paul says, and you're like, well, that must be outdated, can't say that anymore, and yet it's still true, uh, the gospel's still very uh, counter, perhaps intuitive, countercultural, so Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, he says, and he's talking uh, in the context of sexual sin, he says this, do you not know that your body, if you're a believer, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, he says, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's slavery language for Christians. He says, like, you don't, we've kind of given up the, the right to, to run our lives and to do what we want because we're now in full submission to God, which because God is so good and loving, that's the best place to be. But Paul says, listen, like our, our position with God is like he, he's bought us with a price. He gave his perfect, sinless, holy son to die in our place to purchase us uh, for himself. We belong to God. And that's, that's how Paul saw himself in relationship to God. A Acts chapter 20, Paul says this. He says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. 
if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He's not saying that he doesn't think he is valuable as a person or as an image bearer or that he has no value. What he is saying is that he has traded in uh, when he began to follow Jesus, he put himself in full submission to God that God's agenda now outweighs his, and if that's at the cost of his life, so be it, because he is meek. He saw himself in total submission to God. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 1, the opening uh, the opening sentence of his letter to Romans, which we just spent a year walking through, says this. Uh, he, he was trying to describe himself in relationship to God, introing this letter, and he says this, a servant of Christ Jesus. Uh, he writes the book of Titus in chapter 1, verse 1 of Titus. He opens up and he says this, uh, Paul, a servant of God. Philippians uh, 1, 1, he opens up and he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of of Christ Jesus. How did Paul see himself in relationship to God? Uh, many, many times he calls himself a servant, and that word servant is doulos, right? Everybody say doulos. Not doula, very, very different. Uh, he was not in charge of all the home births in Jerusalem. Uh, doulos means uh, slave. It would have been a very uh, offensive term that Paul applied to himself. He's like, I'm a slave. Uh, I do what my master says. In, in relationship to God, Paul saw himself as a servant or a slave being in full submission to God. I, I think that is just a really clear picture of what it truly means to live a meek life, to be meek. Who are the meek? Those who we, we, we see ourselves as dependent, totally dependent on God and in full submission to God. I want to unpack for a few moments what the challenge is uh, in, in the culture that we live in. Uh, there, there are some very unique challenges to living meek lives and to being meek followers of Jesus. If meekness is being completely dependent on and uh, totally uh, submissive to, there, there are some things in our culture that makes that kind of difficult for us. And I think unless we, we, we really dig down a bit, we may not see that those things are at odds with uh, the, this life of meekness. Uh, I, I mentioned this last week, and oftentimes we do this. In order to understand one thing, uh, we, we try to describe it and define it, maybe look for some examples. Uh, but then we'll often look at the opposite of something. Because if we see the opposite, sometimes that's a really clear clear way to, to understand uh, the true thing. So the opposite of meekness uh, would be self-sufficiency and struggling to submit, right? The opposite of what Jesus describes as being a blessed thing would be this idea that, you know what, I'm very self-sufficient. I'm not dependent on anyone. I like to do it myself. Um, you know, I like to depend on myself. I like to run my own show uh, and a struggle to submit. And I think both of those things play themselves out very well in our culture that like uh, as Americans that's probably woven into our DNA and as Texans and listen I love being a Texan the greatest country on earth I've said that for years now like I love it I love all these a lot of things about it but but there's some things that we kind of inherit culturally that are opposed to the to the way of Jesus right and this idea that like no I don't I don't submit to anyone 
You know, I, I do what I want. I'm not going to submit to the government. I'm not going to submit to the church. I'm not going to submit to uh, my parents. I'm not going to submit to um, my husband or like just this idea of submission kind of like, ooh, kind of rubs us the wrong way, right? Uh, and the, the, to, the, to the extent we struggle with submission and especially submission to God, we struggle with meekness. And to the extent we struggle with control, any control freaks in the room, you're not going to admit it yourselves. Friends and spouses, <laughs> point them out. <laughs> you, we know who you are. You know, I know who I am. I'm one of them. Uh, like to, we struggle to just like completely depend on God. And in a culture where we have, you know, plenty of money and most of us aren't wanting for food and for clothing, uh, sometimes ju just having having enough means to live life fairly comfortably, it's kind of creates this facade that we don't depend on God for things. It, like it, it sometimes it, it, it causes us to just kind of think, you know what, I, I, I kind of got things together. I don't really need God that much. Uh, I've traveled to India a handful of times and uh, the places I've been are just very, very, very poor places. Uh, when you talk about poverty on a global scale of people uh, truly living on two or three dollars a day, this is uh, kind of the places that you're talking about. Uh, and you see the church there, um, just Christians and the Holy Spirit working through them in just incredible ways. Uh, and I remember just uh, over my, my visits there and talking with my friend Sastri, who's been here, he, you, many of you have met him over the years. Um, he's just talked about over and over, like, why, why God does miracles and answers prayers the way that he does. And I asked him one time, why does it seem to be so different for, like, how, how effective your prayers and your faith are in India versus sometimes the church in the West? And he said, we don't have insurance says, we don't have savings accounts. We fully depend on God. If my kid gets sick, I don't think emergency room. I don't think penicillin. I think God, like fully dependent on God. And praise God for insurance and praise God for hospitals. But sometimes that can really create a barrier in our hearts and minds to truly know and understand that we are in complete dependence on God, right? There are some challenges that we need to think through we're going to live meek lives in the current culture that we live in. And then three, he, he says there's a blessing to those who are meek, to those who have this position that I'm completely dependent on God. I'm in full submission to God. He says, blessed are the meek because they will inherit the earth. Right, there's a lot of different uh, ideas about what Jesus means exactly when he says that. Uh, I think generically what he's talking about is uh, a new heaven and a new earth that he's going to make for those who love him. That's uh, The curse is removed. Sin and death are no more. No more fear. No more effects of, of the fall or brokenness. And, and who gets to inhabit the new earth forever and ever? Oh, th those, those who are meek. Those who are meek, those who have come to Jesus with a meek attitude saying, you're the Lord, I'm not, you're the master, I'm the servant. And so in our culture, sometimes, uh, yeah, I don't remember if, if, if this is even a thing anymore, but uh, years ago, especially when I was in high school, there was the t-shirt the that says, Jesus is my homeboy. Do y'all remember that? I don't even think you can use the word homeboy anymore. I would probably pick up my son from something and call him a homeboy, and they would all look at me like, gosh, so old. <laughs> He's out of touch as I'm struggling to understand my phone. And um, like, so, like the, the idea like, oh, Jesus is my homeboy, like, like that, that's not meekness. Like, like so, at, at best, sometimes that culture will seep in, like we just see Jesus as just kind of like a peer, and, and, and no doubt he is, he is a friend. 
Like God has given us through Christ the ability to call God a friend, which is unbelievable. But if we only see Jesus as our homeboy or our peer, like, and we don't see him as our, our Lord and master, th- th- then we're going to struggle with meekness. He, he's not our, our peer. That, that, that's like the culture seeping into us at best. At worst, uh, we don't see ourselves as servants of Jesus, especially you know, at the heart of the prosperity gospel is this idea, n- never would they say this, but it, it's, it's in the heart of the, the value system that I'm actually uh, kind of in charge and, and God works for me. And he serves me, and uh, I, I, you know, if I if I'm faithful and if I pray, then he has to give me uh, what I want, and he has to make me healthy. He has to deal with this illness. He has to give me uh, wealth, and like, like at, at best, we just see Jesus as a homeboy. At worst, it's like it's completely flopped, where we feel like that, that God works for us, uh, but Jesus says, "Blessed are the meek." Like those who come in and see this relationship between us and God, where we have been bought with a price. We exist to serve our master, to obey our master. We're completely dependent on him, fully submissive to him. Jesus says that, that that's the type of person, blessed are they, because in the end, they're going to inherit the earth. Like those who really struggle to submit and really want to elevate themselves, the Bible says that if you really want to, 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 to glorify and elevate yourself, then in, in, in that day that you will be, you, you will be, be lowered, right? Uh, it kind of, he'll, he'll, he'll flop it. Those who try to exalt themselves uh, now will be humbled, and those who are meek and humble themselves in that day will be exalted, will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Number two, verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. My guess is when I just read that, it, it, just that small little phrase, hunger and thirst, it probably did not do in us what it did to the original hearers. Uh, if you're like me, like hunger and thirst, it's a, it's a concept. It's an idea that I understand. It's not something that I have truly lived. Uh, and so I don't have an experiential, you know, understanding of like, this is what it's like to struggle all the time to have enough food to feed myself and my kids to try to find uh, clean water or water at all where you're going, you know, a day or two without water. You're going days without food. Like when Jesus, just, just that little phrase, hunger and thirst, boom, he's got the attention of the people that are listening and they don't just know it on paper. Like they potentially, when he's preaching, feel it in their stomach. You know, that they feel the cramps. They've got uh, trouble focusing because they're malnourished and they're truly hungry. My, my seven-year-old came up to me the other day. He's like, I'm hungry. No, no, no. He said, I'm starving. And I don't know if you other parents in the room do this, but we're like trying to take that out of their vocabulary. Like, you're not starving. You ate nine minutes ago, okay? You're not even hungry. You're bored. Like, there's a difference, right? And he just comes like, oh, I'm hungry. I'm like, no, you're not. I said it the other day. I'm like, I'm hungry. I was like, I had lunch like an hour and a half ago. Like, I just don't understand experientially like what the first century people would have heard when Jesus said blessed are those who hunger and thirst like have have such a deep longing that you have to have something or you feel like you're going to die okay but Jesus says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness 
I was um, elk hunting a few years ago uh, in a place that did not have much water, and uh, I was trying to find water on my map so that I could be safe and just take my filter uh, into the backcountry and not get into trouble, uh, and did all that work and actually killed a elk and was trying to pack it out and uh, had already gone about uh, 12 hours of a lot of work in dry conditions without any water, uh, and I get to the spring on the map and it's dry, and I realize, well, don't tell my wife this because I don't tell her some of the uh, places where I get myself into trouble. I don't know what I'll do in the second service if she's here. Come up with another story. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I'm in trouble. And, you know, I was trying to get this, you know, heavy pack off the mountain. And it was hot and dry, and I'd been almost 24 hours uh, by the time I got back to water. And, like, that, that's about the closest I've been to actually, like, feeling a deep level of thirst. Uh, and I get there, and I just, I, I'm sure I look like an idiot because I'm, like, trying to filter my water as quick as I can. And I'm just drinking and chugging. And I feel like, like, that's what... You know, the, the psalmist is talking about as a deer longs and pants for water, so my soul longs for you. Like, I just, and it never, like, water had never tasted so good. Because if you get that, that dehydrated or that thirsty, like, you don't want milk, right? You don't even want coffee. You don't want Gatorade. You don't want, do like, like, water. And that feeling of satisfaction and, and actually being filled, it was like when you, when you mix deep, deep thirst with pure water, you get this like sense of satisfaction, like, oh my gosh, that has quenched my thirst like nothing I could ever imagine. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. Like if you went a week without eating food, how you would feel towards food. Like, I've got to have it. I need it. I might die without it. Jesus is saying, when that kind of enters your desires as, as, as your desire for righteousness, blessed, you're blessed. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because they shall be satisfied. There, there's two types of righteousness that the Bible talks about, uh, and this is going to sound very theological, and it is, but it's also very practical, so don't tune me out while I explain uh, both of these, because it's not only just important to understand what they are, but as you're reading and studying the Bible on your own and listening to, uh, listening to the scriptures, it's important to know which one of these two uh, types of righteousness the Bible is talking about. Number one, uh, it's a positional righteousness, and number two, I'll call it uh, a personal righteousness, okay? Uh, position Positional righteousness. Uh, this has to do with like righteousness of justification or um, the right that you need to have between you and God to be saved, right? Positional righteousness, the righteousness of justification. Personal, personal righteousness is the righteousness of sanctification. This has to do with, um, with what we've been given, something that we have, and this has to do with something that we do, okay? They're both very important, but they're honestly very different from one another. Uh, Romans chapter 3, I'll, I want to talk for a moment about positional righteousness. And this is the, like, the begging question of what, what, what happens if God is righteous and sinners are not, and how can the two ever come together? How can they coexist? How can they be together in a relationship? How can they be together in heaven? And so the question becomes, if you're unrighteous, how do you gain positional righteousness? How do you get to where God's okay with you? God's right with you. Things are right um, between you and God. And really, there, there's two paths to be positionally righteous. One, there's to be perfect and sinless. 
How many of you, that's your story? <laughs> Please do not raise your hands. Some of you are like, he wants us to be engaged all the time. Now's my chance. Now's not your chance, okay? Like the option one is to have positional righteousness through the law, to perfectly keep the law and be right with God through the law. There's a man who crushed this and his name is? Jesus, okay? Option two, like, like people didn't understand option two for a long time. Like they thought, oh, it's option, so there's only one option. We, we work our way through the law to be right with God. But this is what Paul says in Romans chapter three. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have fallen short of the glory of God, all have sinned and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Per, uh, positional righteousness is something that we have been given as a free gift. If you're right with God, it's because Jesus has given his righteousness to you as a free gift, right? The Bible talks about being clothed uh, in Jesus's righteousness. Think about as Jesus lived the, the perfect, only righteous life, and as a gift, the theological languages, he imputed that he gave his righteousness, wrapped us in it so that God interacts with Christians as if we were Jesus because we have been covered with the righteousness of Christ. It's been imputed to us. The reformers called this an alien righteousness, uh, not like, you know, the aliens from Roswell, uh, like the alien meaning it came from without, not from within. Uh, I didn't muster up this positional righteousness. Jesus gave me his. Philippians chapter 3, this is what Paul is talking about. So if Romans 3 is him talking kind of theologically, uh, Philippians chapter 3 is him talking very personally about positional righteousness. Indeed, Paul says, I count everything as lost. He's been talking about like his, his resume through the law or trying to be righteous by doing good things and not doing bad things. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's positional righteousness, the only way you get it. This is the story of Romans. The only way that you can be right with God here and forever is to accept the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. Personal righteousness is linked not to salvation and justification, but to sanctification, like the process of learning what it's like to be like Jesus. It has to do with our, how we live our lives, how we, how we use our words, what we talk about, how we spend our money, what we do with our sexual lives, like, like the actual things that we do. Positional righteousness is what we have. It's been given to us as a gift. Personal righteousness is what we do how we try to live our lives by grace because we're already accepted and, and we're trying to grow in, in godliness to be, to think, to talk, to live like Jesus. Uh, this is such a big deal to us because it's a big deal in the Bible. 
And in fact, this is the reason I, I kind of draw these, these, this distinction between these two. Because most of the time when Matthew, the book that we're in, talks about righteousness, it's talking about personal righteousness. And, and a Sermon on the Mount, that, that's important because he's talking to people that already have positional righteousness. So he's teaching them how to live. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Um, I think uh, that is what Jesus is talking about. For those who hunger and thirst, like with a deep sense of hunger and thirst to want Jesus to make their lives look like him. Th this is so important to us as a church. Uh, this is part of our covenant. Like we've got a church covenant that all the covenant partners that have uh, linked arms together, we've made a commitment that we're going to work by grace uh, to grow in holiness because it's important to God that we look like Jesus. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 6, we'll get there Oh, goodness, I think maybe not even till next year, but it's still part of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness. If you're practicing your righteousness, this is what he's talking about. Like our deeds, what we do, not what we have. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. But it's so, like, you're going to get so tired of me, hopefully over the years, hammering out, don't try to act like Jesus until you have been made right by Jesus. Are you all with me? They're both important. The order matters. The order matters. This comes first by faith. And then by grace, the Holy Spirit works in us to make us like Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? This is because that, that's the person that's that satisfied or that's filled. Uh, look at it, it, either in your Bible or here on the screen at that verse at verse 6. Because verb, verb tense matters, right? Blessed are those. That's just a generic, like, this person hungers and thirsts for righteousness, so Jesus just declares they're, they're, they are blessed. Why? Uh, because they shall be filled. That's a passive tense. It doesn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They desperately want to be like Jesus because then they will crush it. <laughs> they will satisfy themselves. It's like, no, like they will be satisfied. Somebody else will, will, will act upon them. And eat, like even, even growing as a Christian in personal holiness is an act of grace that God does in us and to us and through us. It's like, wh what do we bring to the table even in this equation? Uh, hunger and thirst. And if you ever had a baby, hopefully only women are nodding. Some of them are like, I was there. You get half credit. Um, like a, a baby, an infant, they can hunger and they can thirst, right? That's it. They're dependent upon someone else to, to satisfy or to fill the hunger. Like a Christian that truly hungers and thirsts to be righteous, what happens then? They shall be filled, how does that happen? God changes your desires. He, he, he makes you hate different things that you didn't used to hate, makes you love things that you didn't used to love. He, 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 he convicts you of sin. Like, he does a lot of things in us. What we bring to the table is like, like I've, Jesus has saved me. I'm a Christian. I belong to him by grace through faith. And now I really, I really want to be like Jesus. I hunger and I thirst for righteousness, and then Jesus does a work in us by grace to make us more like Jesus, and he's committed to the process. 
I've said this so many times over the years. He's more committed to that process than we are. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's probably worth a moment thinking through what, what, what's the opposite again? What's the, what's the other options? Because what Jesus implies is there's probably some things we can hunger and thirst for that are going to leave you in a lifetime of unsatisfaction, okay? You know this, but we all need to be reminded of this often. If you hunger and thirst for fame, if you just want to be famous, want people to know you, want people to know who you are, what you've done, the, the length of your resume, just, just never be satisfied. Just going to live a life always trying to find something that never will really satisfy or fulfill. Uh, you know this. Uh, if, if our true hunger and thirst is for more money, there's not enough money in Midland. There's not enough money on the planet to bring true satisfaction. A human being in the image of God was made much bigger than to be satisfied by money. If that's what you hunger and thirst for, you are destined for a life where it's just never going to be enough, never satisfied, never filled. What if you hunger and thirst for attention? And, you know, I think about, uh, you know, my life growing up through my teen years, especially like I think a lot of uh, a lot of us probably struggle with like I just I need attention. And if we hunger and thirst for attention, you're going to find it in all the wrong ways, and it's going to cause so many problems and leave you unfulfilled and unsatisfied. So who are the type of people that get filled and get truly, deeply satisfied? Those who hunger and thirst for something much deeper and bigger and better than fame and money. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, I want to close. With, I think this verse... I don't know this for sure, obviously, but I think this verse in Isaiah uh, was probably in Jesus's mind when he was preaching. And when he was talking about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I think Isaiah 55 uh, was in his mind. And so I want to read a few verses from that in a moment, but I want to set it up this way. Uh, my wife, Hannah, and I were at a wedding last night. I preached a wedding, which I rarely do uh, out of town, especially on a Saturday night, um, because it causes some problems for me. I don't know if y'all know, I work on Sunday. Um, but I love these people, and I wanted to preach this wedding, and some incredible, you know, church family of ours here watched the kids, and so Hannah and I got to go uh, away for uh, Friday night and Saturday and preach this wedding, and uh, it was awesome. It was, it was beautiful, and they, uh, they picked up our room even uh, on Friday night, and they gave us the room key, and when we checked in, they said, you know, because I'm looking around and seeing some price tags on things, I'm like... I hope you brought the cooler with the bologna sandwiches. Uh, this, this, I don't know. And so they handed me the room card, and they said, oh, by the way, uh, anything you want, just charge it to the room. And I was like, you don't have to tell me twice. And uh, so, like, Hannah, you know, we'll get the bags later. Let's go to the restaurant. We go. It's like uh, the, the food was unbelievable. And, you know, we, we, we couldn't have afforded it probably and uh, didn't even bring my wallet into the hotel. Why? Because I didn't need it, because I had a room key. They said, you just get whatever you want. So we have breakfast there. You know, I was, I was trying to tell him, I was like, listen, pretend like we belong here. <laughs> you know, pretend like we've been here before. But it was tough, because, like, that's not the world I grew up in. I grew up with leftovers. Like, that's all we had. In fact, I was thinking this morning, I was like, I don't even think we ever had the leftovers the first time. 
It's like you just had leftovers. Like, oh, what's for what's for dinner? Leftovers. I don't remember eating this the first time when it was hot. It was just leftovers. Then we had bologna sandwiches. We even had leftover bologna sandwiches, right? All that to say, we're sitting there uh, and uh, just like, you know, everybody else like, you know, had been there before and was sitting all very, very straight, you know, back up straight, uh, napkin on the lap, drinking their coffee, you know, sticking their pinky out. And Hannah and I were like, did you see how many toppings they had for the oatmeal? And they had three types of oatmeal. It's like none of it was instant. And we're just like... Can you believe we're here and we don't even have our wallets? Like the, the best food, the best wine, the best layout that I've ever seen and we could have our fill and just very satisfied, didn't even have our wallets. And I was thinking the whole time, I was like, <laughs> let, let me get there. This is what Jesus is talking about. And, and let, me, let me get you to um, Isaiah chapter 55. Just the, the idea that like, I, I feel very blessed right now. I feel very filled, very satisfied, and it was all on someone else's tab. I didn't even bring my wallet. Isaiah 55, the prophet, the prophet Isaiah says this. Come. Like this, the, the, the invitation of the gospel is not a New Testament thing. It, God's been doing it forever. It's been the plan from the beginning, the invitation of the gospel, like the, the, the blood of Christ, you can wring the blood of Christ out of the Old Testament just as much as the new. Come, everyone who thirsts. He's not talking about physical thirst or hunger. He's like, you, you want your life to be satisfied? Like, is there, you, you feel like this isn't what life was meant to be. There's something missing. I'm missing something. It's broken. Like, come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. You're like, it doesn't work that way. You can't come buy and eat if you don't have any money, yet that's the invitation. Come buy and eat. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? He's like, why do you just spend your life chasing things that are not going to fulfill your soul? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. If we fast forward to verse 6, it says, The seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Like, like that's, I, I think that's, that's a shout out to Isaiah 55, just the invitation of the gospel that you get absolutely everything that your soul needs and truly desires and you get it for free and so we're supposed to like live this christian life full of blessings here and forevermore and just have this posture like <laughs> i can't believe this is happening I didn't even bring my wallet, and yet Jesus has given me his card, said I've got free reign of his tab, and all of the blessings of the gospel are ours. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we shall be filled. I invite you to bow your head, close your eyes.
and let's pray together as we do every week, every Sunday when we come together for the Lord's Day to open his word, to invite his spirit, to, to speak to each one of us in a very personal way. Father, we love you. What a, what a blessed life we live. We have been given every spiritual blessings and so many material blessings even on top. Father, I, I pray that you might send your spirit in a very unique way in this building this morning. God, that you might call someone to salvation. Maybe they have been struggling through trying to, to earn their way towards you or trying to find righteousness through the law. I pray that you might reveal to them that there is another way apart from the law that's just simply faith in Christ, that you lived in our place, that you died in our place, that you might gift us your righteousness. Father, would you call someone to salvation this morning? Kind of for those who truly belong to you, Father, I pray that you might give us a deep hunger and a deep thirst for righteousness so that you might fill us and satisfy us. Jesus, you are so good. Though our sins are many, your mercy is more. As Isaiah 55 said, you will abundantly pardon. So we thank you for your sermon, Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, and I pray that it would continue to shape us and mold us and encourage us over these next many months. Would you uh, be glorified as we sing some truths together? Would you serve and minister to your people well this morning? We love you, Jesus, and we thank you, and I pray this through your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.